Hey folks, for our very first episode, we have a very special guest, Shivani Sakrani, a counseling psychologist from Inspiron in Bangalore. Shivani, thank you so much for being here with us. According to you, what do you think we can do to manage our mental health better during the lockdown? Protecting ourselves and taking care of ourselves is of utmost importance in that situation. So you will try and talk to a lot of people. Do not suppress. Express what you're feeling. Look for a safe individual. Could be a friend, could be a family member. Even reach out to therapists. Reach out to professionals who can help you. Right? A lot some time for yourself. Like a lot some me time. And in an area in your house or in the space. Which is not crowded or is only for you, meant for you. Could be a terrace. Could be a garden. Could be coffee time. Just like 5 minutes or 10 minutes for you to rejuvenate yourself. Because it is going to get difficult in a situation where you are around toxic people. It's going to get draining, right? So take 10 minutes out of the situation, rejuvenate yourself and then go back, right? Like I said, two options. Either you take responsibility responsibility to change the situation. So you talk to the individual or you accept the situation for what it is. Okay, thank you so much for that. The next question is, what do I do if someone approaches me saying they have suicidal thoughts? Alright. Now, First of all, I would recommend all of us to get trained as a gatekeeper. Now, gatekeeper is someone who has been trained in how to talk to someone or how to address a situation like this that is of utmost emergency, right? So you need to have professional training and I would recommend all of us to get that done so that you know how to tackle a situation because in this, in this situation, one line here and there can make a huge difference, right? So that, was a, that would be a recommendation from my end to all of you. Now, on the other hand, I would like to ask you, why do people have suicidal thoughts? What do you think? What is the reason? I think it's usually when uh, they're dealing with things that are out of their control. You know, when they're in a situation which they, where they feel helpless and uh, they just feel like maybe if I'm not a part of this, the situation would somehow be better. So they just somehow feel pointless to the whole scheme of things they just don't feel valued enough maybe. and it's associated with a lot of other things as well in terms of you know maybe they they feel depressed or they feel anxious um it may be a combination of things and sometimes it doesn't entirely make sense but uh, yes it's we've seen a lot of uh, a great spectrum of reasons why people feel suicidal definitely so bringing it down to two points there's a perceived sense of burden right that they feel or yes. there is social alienation where they have a low sense of belongingness, right? These two reasons why mostly people tend to have suicidal thoughts or thoughts of self-harm, right? In such a, in such a situation, what do you do? First, make, acknowledge what they're feeling, validate the feeling, and make them feel less alone. Try and tell them that you're there for them. The sense of loneliness usually drives you to, to that thought or even drives you to actually take action. So try and make them feel like they're less alone. Like there is someone out there for them. After which you can direct them to a professional and they can seek professional help. I can't hear you. Your your audio is off. Yeah, guys, does anyone have any questions? I have a question. So you said like uh, we should provide them with support and uh, we should not let them feel alone and then we should guide them to professional support. Um, 
what if like they are not really you know willing to get, go out there and approach the professional that is the case in uh, many of times like people who aren't really you know, willing to go to professional go for professional support they feel like no one can understand me and that's why that is the first cause of excuse me alienation in the first place right so what should we do at that time us for you at that point in time the safety of the individual is of utmost importance so even if you do leave them and they're better in that situation or in that moment they shouldn't be thinking about doing it later on right so if you feel somewhere that they're not willing to take or seek professional help you have to look for a safe individual for them someone who is going to be there around them 24/7 or even for a longer period of time which you will not probably be able to do or provide them with your support 24/7 so first their safety is of importance then maybe with time you can talk them into seeking professional help so find a safe individual inform them about it with consent of this individual keep all three of them three of you have to be in a loop right and then you and the safe individual can talk the person into seeking professional help all right uh thank you uh moving on to the next question how do i know when it is time for me to consider therapy so here think of yourself as a vase okay now this vase has an inlet and an outlet right now what if i close the inlet water in the vase is still going out right is there something outside sucking the water what's going to happen to the water in the vase it's going to get exhausted after some time right because the inlet is shut now how do i open the inlet through therapy right now either you go to therapy once the water has been depleted right when you're feeling exhausted when you feel like there's a sense of helplessness hopelessness that's when you seek therapy or you prevent yourself from reaching that level and go for therapy a little earlier so you get clarity and you get support now once you open the inlet the outlet is still is still on right so you'll feel better as an individual that's how therapy works so it's up to you and it's your decision when you want to seek therapy but i gave you two scenarios so that you can understand how therapy works in the different scenarios so that was a very insightful answer but i i'd also like to ask you another question along those same lines so um in a scenario where a person cannot gauge for themselves if they're just feeling tired or overworked or if there's something greater at play or uh, you know if they feel like they've suppressed their emotions for a long time would you could you tell us if there are general indicators of knowing that you're not even if not general indicators of uh, the fact that you should be in therapy but general indicators that your mental health is suffering you're constantly feeling tired right there is a sense of helplessness you don't know what to do next right you you're not being able to eat properly maybe not eat on time you're not being able to sleep right vegetative symptoms things that you feel in your body muscle aches tension tension in different parts of your body headaches recurrent headaches these are some signs and symptoms that will tell you that your mental health has is suffering right that being said you can also go to therapy just for self discovery to understand your patterns even if nothing is wrong in your life you just want to go understand your patterns understand how different things work learn some relaxation techniques learn some tools and techniques that you can use in a situation where you feel like is going to be difficult for you to cope with so you become more resilient with therapy thank you thank you that was a, that was a really good answer uh nanya we can move to the next one all right 
So the next one is a question that I personally uh, have wondered myself. When should I visit a psychologist and when should I visit a psychiatrist? I'll ask you a very simple question. Do you know the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? So this is something I'm in two minds about. But when I actually went to therapy myself, a psychologist is someone that I would go to for a diagnosis and then a psychiatrist would be someone who would write me a prescription. So that's what I understood. Exactly. So a psychiatrist is someone who can prescribe medication. A psychologist is someone who's going to talk to you, understand what you're going through, identify your patterns, and if she or he feels necessary, make a diagnosis. Once she makes a diagnosis, then you're directed to a psychiatrist, right? Now the psychiatrist and psychologist will work together as a team to support the individual, right? This is a model that we follow at Inspiron. Now I'll give you an example. If you have a heart problem, you go first to a cardiologist and then the cardiologist directs you into to the direction of a surgeon, right? You don't go to the surgeon directly. Now the cardiologist, cardiologist and surgeon are going to work as a team for the patient. Same way you go to a psychologist and then the psychologist will make a diagnosis and will direct you towards a psychiatrist. Now both of them will work as a team to support the client. Okay, great. Thank you so much for the answer. That really definitely helped. All right, next question. Uh, unless anyone else has any more questions about that? Uh, could you just uh, repeat once again, like the main difference between like the psychologist and the psychiatrist? So a psychiatrist is someone who has an MBBS degree and they can prescribe medication. But a psychologist doesn't have an MBBS degree and they cannot prescribe medication. What they do is they talk to you, they hear your story out, and they try and identify your patterns of behavior. They try and make a diagnosis from what you tell them. So they kind of act like a counselor? So a psychologist, a counselor, a clinical psychologist, they have very similar roles. All right. So, okay, so basically they bring your thought patterns to the light, and then on basis of that, they will... Uh, guide you to a psychiatrist. All right. Thank you. Exactly. All right. Uh, moving on to the next question. What are the symptoms for mental illness like anxiety and depression and through what scale of severity? So first I will put it out there that with disorders like anxiety and depression, they manifest differently in different people. So the symptoms that I face, you may not face. Symptoms you may face, I may not face, right? But there are general symptoms that you will see, like an overview, I will tell you. So with anxiety, there's an excessive sense of worry, right? They worry about small things. Even though there is nothing to worry about, you may find them worrying, right? They may feel tired very often, there's fatigue, right? Because of the excessive worry, because of the fatigue, restlessness, they may get agitated. So there's a feeling of agitation, right? Now with depression, what happens? There's a feeling of low mood, sadness, a sense of helplessness, hopelessness, worthlessness. I don't know how to move out of this situation. Things that they found pleasurable in the past may not be pleasurable anymore, right? Now with both of them, with both these disorders, you do face some vegetative symptoms also, like your sleep is hampered. Either you sleep too much or you sleep too less. Your food appetite is hampered. Either you're eating too much or you're eating too less, right? You don't feel hungry. Your weight, Either you've put on too much weight or you've not, or you've reduced a lot of weight, right? 
So these are the symptoms that you may face or see when someone is facing anxiety or depression. Ashwin, I had a question. So, um, like you said, that these are all of the symptoms that manifest themselves. And um, so, do you think that everybody is equally prone to being depressed or to anxiety? That there's a little bit of it in everyone, and it may or may not manifest itself. Or are some people at more risk or are more susceptible to these things? Okay, people with a genetic loading are more susceptible to these to these disorders. Okay, that being said. we all have a risk of getting into depression or facing anxiety okay it depends on how we cope with it it depends on our resilience if we are able to cope with the situation or we are able we are able to come out of it or in or incorporate more healthy coping behaviors like journaling writing it out talking to somebody we are able to bounce back easily but with some people if they are not able to cope with it in a in a more productive sense they take therapy Okay. Okay. Yeah. Does anyone else have questions? Oh uh, yeah. So how do uh, how do you think the journal is going to help with it? So when you journal, what you're essentially doing is you're writing down your thoughts. When you once you have a thought, it doesn't leave your mind unless you find unless it finds closure, right? Now writing down the thought, talking to yourself about it, it's essentially talking to yourself about it. Right? When you talk to someone else about something you're venting, you feel good. You feel like you found some kind of closure to the situation or to what you're facing. Same way journaling will help, but you're just writing down it. You're maintaining a diary about it. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next question then. What are the available tools and techniques to improve my mental well-being besides therapy? All right. This again is a very subjective question because tools and techniques that I that may help me may not help you. The tools and techniques that may help me may not help me because the source of our mental or men, things that are hampering our mental health will be different, right? Now when you say mental health, there is a mind-body connection. There is also a connection when it comes to physical health the amount you work out the food that you eat how you are working in a professional sense right your relationships your career all of that added up summed up together equals our mental health so different tools and techniques or different areas of life will have different tools and techniques that you can use either you use a relaxation technique at work if you're stressed out too often or the stress is too much to cope with right or you work out or you eat healthy actually it'll be workout and eat healthy right eat nutritious give your body that kind of food that it needs to so there is a there is a connection between your gut and your emotions right if sometimes if you've noticed the food that you eat immediately has a response with your emotions like if i eat chocolate i become happy right chocolate makes me happy so the food that you put into your body will definitely affect your emotions so the power lies within us and the power lies in the day to day activities that we indulge in the smallest changes can lead to the biggest shifts in mood that's definitely that's very pertinent thanks, thanks for that and uh, definitely i think when it comes to college students are not the most responsible with their diet so that was definitely something that we need to keep in mind so what services can i avail in a mental health facility 
Like I'll ask you, what services can I avail at an educational institution? So you can go to the library where you can read a book or you can attend a lecture or you can maybe have a group discussion with like a few students, things like that. Right. So that will depend on the infrastructural capacity of the institution, right? So the same thing with the mental health facility, it depends on the facility that you're visiting, right? We at Inspiron have facility for individual sessions, group sessions, couple counseling. We have dance movement therapy, you have art therapy, you have a relaxation room where you can just sit and meditate. You have sound therapy. So it all depends on the facility you're visiting. Right, so uh, when it comes to a college, most uh, colleges, are you aware of the minimum uh, facilities that they would be able to avail around their city? For example, in Bangalore, if somebody, if a student is going through some difficulties, what do you suggest they do? What sort of uh, facilities can they avail? Can you repeat the question? Can you elaborate a little? Sure. So uh, if a student, say, is facing a lot of anxiety and maybe the institution that they go to doesn't have uh, the best infrastructure when it comes to seeking counseling or mental health, uh, therapy, and since they're a student, um, they may not be able to fund themselves completely, you know, even if they want to go to a therapist. So what could they do in that sort of a situation? There are two things, yeah. So there are a lot of organizations that have priced their therapy uh, at a price that students can avail them easily, the services easily. Like we at Inspiron, we do give a student discount. So it's, it's more accessible to people who are students who want to seek therapy, right? That being said, we also indulge in pro bono cases and other organizations also indulge in pro bono cases where you take up clients without actually asking for a pay. Because we're, this is a helping profession and we want to help you come out of the situation or we want to support you in a situation that you are in, right? So there are a lot of organizations and they've been listed on Google if you go and check it out. So you will find a lot of organizations where therapy has been priced in a certain way for students to avail them easily. Yeah, I wanted to ask a question. So now that you touched upon it, um, about um, about sound therapy and uh, you know the other kinds of like more um, less conventional forms of therapy. So could you could you tell us more about the less lesser known and less conventional forms of therapy that uh, that help people uh, through different kinds of issues? So that being said, there are a list of hundred therapies that way. Right? Something that we follow at Inspiron is dance movement therapy. We have art therapy where you come paint or draw mandalas or have a Zentangle class, right? Along with that, we have relaxation techniques. So we have a relaxation hour where you work, we take you through a guided meditation so you can relax. Along with that, we have sound therapy with, with different kinds of sounds. We have play therapy. So these therapies will can be availed depending on your situation and what you're going through, right? See, it also depends on the person's interest. Like maybe I'm interested in music. So music therapy will work for me. But you're interested in dance, so you're going to avail the service of dance therapy. Yeah, that that's really this, wonderful. I didn't know that there's so many different kinds of therapy. Along with this, seeking talk therapy or having a conversation with a psychologist is definitely helpful. This can aid the process, but along with this, you, we recommend you to, to talk to a therapist. Talk it out. 
Sushmani, what is Definitely your opinion on the difference in opinion between the generations and their outlook on mental health and seeking therapy? I would ask you that question first. What do you think it is? Um, I think uh, I think as the younger generation, we have, as you said, you know, we it has become a very individualistic society. We all feel lonely at times. and we don't quite know how to how to you know process our problems so we're open to therapy we we want to seek help we don't um we don't feel like it is a matter of shame that you require aid or it's a matter of shame that you require anything to entangle your thoughts or to feel better and uh, we're more into self care and you know being self aware and being motivated but our older generations um they sort of focused more at the task at hand maybe because like you said there was a very tightly knit society and their emotional needs were being taken care of and even if they weren't they quite they didn't quite know what to call it or uh, even if it was a problem they they couldn't recognize it as one and so yeah according to me that's that's the biggest difference that there is also right now we are a global family so there is a sense of commonality universality with with regard to what we are going through right we share it on in, on the internet people read about it they talk about their story So there's a lot of acceptance right now because we're all in the same boat. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so you touched on the topic of emotional resilience, right? And uh, also we talked about like how the current condition is becoming more accepting since we know more about uh, the mental health issues and uh, we are kind of more empathetic to that. So I had a question actually. So how can we uh, like? make it more acceptable in our society to you know give more importance to mental health and develop a more empathetic environment so individuals can you know uh, become more accepting towards their own health and realize that 
okay we should be more empathetic towards them and you know as a whole you know as you said we are a global family so provide that uh, familiar environment to them and a safe environment to them so what can we do from our end like some general steps i think it starts from us just accepting talking about what, what we're feeling most of the time we try and hide what we're feeling we won't cry in public we won't tell our friends what what is happening in our lives because we're scared of judgment mostly right so from our end what we can do is provide a non judgmental environment for the people around us for the closest ones around us listen to what they're feeling validate what they're feeling acknowledge what they're feeling make them feel safe right that's what we can do from our end The next question is: How do family members and friends respond to someone going to therapy? So we'll start from the beginning. This will be in stages. First of all, if someone comes up to you, a family member, and tells you that I'm going for therapy, support. Support is the biggest thing that you can offer to them. Acknowledge that they've come and told you about it, because sometimes we're not comfortable telling even our closest family members that we're going to therapy, right? Because we're scared of judgment. So acknowledge that they are coming and telling you, sharing something so important because it must have taken so much courage for them to come to that decision to seek help, right? It takes a lot for someone to come to that decision. I need to go see a professional. I need to talk about what I'm feeling. So if they're coming to you and talking about it, first acknowledge that they're trusting you, right? Then accept that they want to go for therapy. Usually, what we do is we question, why do you need to go for therapy? Talk to me, right? Acknowledge that they want to talk to a third person. This is something they. This is a journey they want to go through on their own. So acknowledge, acceptance, communicate, right? But when you communicate with them, also, you need to uh, respect their boundary, respect their space. We cannot constantly ask them what they spoke about in therapy. That is their personal space. Acknowledge that they have spoken about. They have gone for therapy. Give them private space in in the house because of the pandemic. Maybe we cannot go out and seek therapy. So give them a private space in the house where you don't disturb them for that one hour, one and a half hour, right? So that's how you support an individual going for therapy. And if later on they want you to be part of the sessions, be be open to having those conversations. Be open to being part of the session with them because they've trusted you enough to invite you into their personal space. So, Joy, I would like to angle this a little differently and ask it to you uh, for a for a different perspective on the same thing. So, as as you you must have a lot of um, a lot of people coming to therapy who are between the ages of twenty and thirty, um, you know, young people who are just out of college into their first jobs, second jobs, and you know, going through the regular trials and tribulations. So, what what kind of a response do you get from them when they speak about Uh, do you think that the younger generation is still apprehensive to open up to the older generation about going to therapy, or do you find that it's very common that people hide uh, the fact that they're in therapy from, you know, their loved ones? That's very subjective. It depends on your comfort level with your family members, with your, the, with the people around you, and it also depends on your idea of personal boundary. If I feel like this is a very private thing and I want to keep it to myself. so it doesn't really depend on how the other person's going to judge me it's my decision to keep it private right okay the last question that we had was 
how can i get access to free or cheap mental health care and what services would i be entitled to under my health insurance and alternatively what online resources can i avail firstly i would like to say it's not about the amount of money you get for therapy it's about the quality of service you're getting right and how compatible you are with your therapist because that's going to take you the longer in the longer run it's going to help you in the longer run right because 12 sessions of therapy if you take that's going to have an impact for your entire life that may be life changing right so i would say concentrate more on the quality of therapy and the service you're getting instead of the amount you're actually paying for therapy that being said there are a lot of uh, organizations listed on the live love more foundation's website where you can avail therapy at cheaper costs or more affordable prices also google has a list of places that provide therapy for free or pro bono who take up organizations that take up pro bono cases at the moment right and when it comes to health insurance uh, we at inspiron are working relentlessly to make mental health a part of the healthcare package that one receives can you repeat the last part of the question please or what online resources specifically can i avail so because now since it's covid and you no one can physically go to a center uh, are there any i've noticed like there's a cognitive behavioral therapy course that's become very popular online then there's inner garden meditation there are so many psychologists who are selling like self help books and things like that are those reliable resources are those something that can actually have a positive effect on people between the years of 18 to 25 it depends on how we use those resources right it's it totally depends on how an individual uses those resources that being said um there are other forms of therapy that are being offered you have virtual face to face where you look at the person video calling sessions or you have telephonic sessions or you have sessions where you just text the person what you're feeling because sometimes sitting in the house with so many people around you're not comfortable talking over the phone So there are a lot of options out there which you can avail to uh, be more mentally fit or to protect your mental health. That's definitely very relevant and helpful. Thank you for that, Vani. I was just wondering because it's something that we have discussed within ourselves as well. because we're in an indian community, right? So we do definitely have a very very strong stigma when it comes to seeking help. So if there is a scenario where somebody is trying to uh, access therapy in the form of text or you know by having online sessions with their therapist and their family finds out about it and you know they're not the most uh, welcoming about that situation and it's creating a very toxic work home environment um so what do you think is some action that the different parties can take right from the person who's being affected themselves to the therapist to us who maybe a friend who's aware of it uh, what is the right step for us to take in a situation like this so first i'll tell you the therapy is something that you take in a very private space right only when you feel comfortable only when you feel safe you cannot talk about certain issues that you're facing at home in front of the people right who are who are members of your family so first you have to ensure that you are in a safe environment right that being said if someone does find out talk to them about why you're why you're seeking therapy why is it that you need help communicate be 
give them that clarity so that there is no no thought or there's no space for them to think otherwise right but what i would say is when it comes to someone outside the home or when it comes to your friends talking to your parents about therapy that can get tricky it depends on how they're going to take it how the friend puts it forward right depend it all depends on how you communicate to the other person about why you why you're seeking help and why is it necessary for you to seek help yeah that's definitely very relevant and i hope that we can reach out to the right people and uh, you know spread the information that you've just given us so that's the end of our question deck thank you so much for being here shivani does anyone else have any questions that they'd like to ask yeah so i have a question so uh, do you think is there any one common symptom that you observe in population going through mental illness all right when you say mental illness you can or mental health issues you can divide it into three categories you have a mild you have a moderate and you have a severe right so what happens when you're going through something which is regarding your mental health what we see is it it overspills and it affects our occupational life our occupational functioning our social functioning right so it depends depends on the severity to which it has affected your occupational and social functioning which is when you come to a decision that's one underlying uh, symptom you will see or an, an indicator that you will see across all different disorders I hope I answered your question. Yeah, definitely. I think that clarifies a lot of things. So, uh, during COVID, have you? Uh, I'm actually curious about this. Have you seen a surge in uh, pe- people who are uh, clients or people who are facing like very specific COVID-related challenges at this time? so i feel like what we all are facing right now as a community is anxiety fear we all are scared we don't know what's going to happen right so either we're living in the past we have throwbacks about what we did what we didn't do or we're constantly fearing the future right so for us right now what is of utmost importance is to stay present be mindful of where you are be in the now try and be grounded in where you are try and concentrate on what you're doing work in the flow and that's of utmost importance for all of us right now as a community as a global community that's definitely true and i definitely appreciate the efforts that who is taking to place emphasis on the mental as well as physical health so on their home page i've noticed that they they have a whole section dedicated towards mental health so that was definitely really great to see so we touched on this topic of emotional resilience right so i actually wanted to know what can we do to develop more emotional resilience as i believe from our discussion that emotional resilience is a key factor to you know good mental health and to develop a good coping mechanism overall what according to you is resilience so emotional resilience i believe is like whatever the situation you are in whatever gets thrown at you you don't lose your mental stability and you kind of stay grounded and uh, you know you don't get too overwhelmed with the situation or uh, you you are you don't get to uh, you know excited 
for the situation or get too disturbed with that situation. You just maintain your stability and know what is the right thing to do there. You maintain that mental clarity. So resilience as a term, it means the ability to bounce back, right? We all get situations thrown at us, but how we take it, how we address the situation, and how we come out of the situation is based on how resilient we are as an individual, right? Now, my level of resilience and your level of resilience are going to differ, right? Even things that are stressful for you and me, those things are going to differ. Like you have a person, you have something called personal stress, you have professional stress. I may be able to handle professional stress better than I'm able to handle personal stress, but that may not be the case for you, right? So first understand your pattern, right? And then understand what are the things that get you going? What are the things that rejuvenate you, right? So for maybe for me as an individual, music helps me rejuvenate or it helps me replenish what all the energy that I've exhausted, right? For you, maybe it's working out. For me, it could be anything. First, make a list of these things that help you rejuvenate yourself, rejuvenate your energy. That's how you keep yourself going. Like I said, you have an inlet and you have an outlet. Try and figure out what are the things that will open your inlet and help you keep the water flowing into the vase. That's how you build your emotional resilience. Talking to someone, talking to a professional. Instead of suppressing something, express it. Because with time, the baggage of what you're carrying right now is going to just increase in weight. So express it at the moment, get closure for the situation and move on. Right? That's how you build on emotional resilience. But uh, when we try to express our emotions in the, uh, during the situation, during these troubling times, uh, aren't we kind of like, we might be at a risk where we might react in a wrong way and which might complicate the situation even further. So isn't, I've heard like we should like, you know, I've had the notion that we should go with the emotions at the first time and we should maybe assess the situation, stay calm down and assess the situation later on when we are not in the affected by the situation directly and then go for it. So like kind of suppress the situation, uh, your feelings at the moment. So what would you suggest the right thing to do? Suppress it then and there? Uh, maybe, you know, just let it out, get the closure and move on. So there are productive ways of expressing emotions and there are unproductive ways of expressing emotions. Right? Productive ways that are acceptable to everyone around you also and acceptable to yourself. Right? You cannot just lash out on anyone. It's not acceptable. Maybe for me as an individual, that is not acceptable. But when I say express your emotions, you can even physically move out of the situation or the environment, express your emotions to yourself in private. Like I said, journal, write it down. Talk to somebody who you feel like is going to understand you. Talk to a professional. Then come back to the situation and talk, think about it practically or think about it rationally and address it then. But if you suppress your emotion, that thought is going to constantly play on your mind because you've not given it closure. Right? Think of it this way. When you listen to a rhyme or you listen to a jingle, okay, an ad that has a jingle, it gets stuck in your head, right? It's called a earworm. Yeah. Now that earworm will not exit your head until you know the end of the song, right? That's how it works. So unless you've got closure for your situation, that means you need to address the situation either alone or with the person concerned, it's going to constantly play in your head and it's going to start increasing in weight. Like if I ask you to hold out a bottle right now, your hand is going to start paining after some time. Your hand is going to start shivering. Even though I haven't changed the weight of the bottle or I haven't added any extra water to the bottle. That's how emotions work. The longer you carry, 
the heavier they become so address what you're feeling express what you're feeling think about it emotionally think about it practically all right i think that's a very good answer thank you Harshvani, I wanted to ask you uh, one last question before we wrap this up. So, um, like you said in one of your answers, social media has uh, played a very large role um, in in making the state of mental health uh, what it is today, in terms of awareness, um, in terms of reach. Uh, but it also has a lot of negative impacts on uh, on our generation and even even our older generation. I I feel like uh, a lot of the times I'd see my little sister or my mother uh, look at someone else's Facebook page and just feel quite low about themselves, or or feel as though you know uh, somebody else has a picture perfect life, and that's that's a problem that that we face on a day to day basis, which which causes a lot of self esteem issues. So, what advice would you give to youngsters, and or uh, what would you call as a healthy social media practice? so that we don't so that it doesn't get overbearing in our everyday lives what do you think about this situation i thought about it a lot and it's very personal to me some something i experienced too so but before i tell you my answer before i tell you my opinion on it can you tell me what you think of it um i think um in in the group that i'm present in right now like with this set of people that were on call with i'm probably uh, the most uh, social media shy person i never made a facebook page um i'm just not comfortable sharing information and that's why as a result of that i also don't um, you know tend to get into it a lot but whenever i do dabble or whenever i do um whenever i do open you know a blog or try to get back on instagram every few months like we keep flip flopping all of us um i think uh, what i try to do is restrict my time and i try to disengage because sometimes it's not just about um, it's not just about envying someone else's life or or uh, wondering if you're doing something wrong if it, in 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 your life um because you are not able to match what others are doing or to meet you know some kind of a benchmark um it's 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 also about um, you sometimes you sometimes feel really cluttered in your head after going through so much information or so many different people it kind of just sits in your head and it clutters it so i try to restrict my uh, my time on it and uh, if something bothers me i try to address it and sort of move on from it and not dwell on it i guess that's that's the way i go about it Exactly. Thank you for your opinion and thank you for your answer. What I'd like to say is just it's a very simple line. The grass is always greener on the other side, right? So if we just change our focus and shift our focus from what other people are doing and start watering the grass on my side of the land or my side of the fence, things are going to start working in my favor. But what we do instead is focus on what they have, what they're doing, right? So changing focus here, shifting it to ourselves, shifting it to you. realizing your patterns realizing what is more helpful for you more productive for you will really take you the long way thank you joani yes thank you joani for so wonderful having you here i i hope this reaches all the right people and uh, thank you so much for your help we appreciate it a lot folks That was Shivani Sakrani. 
I hope you enjoyed that segment. Until next time, stay mindful, stay happy.